Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey, Katie. Hey, Ashley. It's so good to talk to you. I'm excited for this one. Same. I think I say that every time. (laughs) Yes, I think we do. It's always exciting to get together and talk. It really is. And we also just want to give a really special welcome to any of our new listeners who may have found us through our last episode where we interviewed Sue Monk Kid. Welcome. Welcome. We're so happy to have you here. And if you are new to Kindreds or if you haven't reviewed us yet on Apple Podcasts, That would be wonderful. It really does help other people find our show. We'll hear that on every podcast, but it is absolutely true. And we want to keep growing our Kindred's community. So we would welcome that if you want to take just a minute to do that for us. That would be great. Yeah, that would be great. So today we're going to jump right in. We will be revisiting some themes that come up often on Kindred's. Our longtime listeners will recognize this, I think, specifically the ideas of self-care and mental health. But for this conversation, we'll be using a bit of a different lens and exploring the concept of caring for ourselves through burnout. So you can go back and listen to our episodes from 2017 called Self-Care as Self-Preservation. That's one. Destigmatizing Mental Health. And then in 2018, we have Resilience and Overcoming the Fear of Failure. And those all deal with the idea of caring for our, our mental well-being and looking at self-care in a holistic way. If you do go back and listen, I think it'll be interesting to hear what we were thinking and talking about related to this just over the last few years, because I think it's probably safe to say that our thoughts on this have evolved quite a bit since then. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's helpful to recognize that we're all on a journey mm-hmm. and to try not to judge ourselves mm-hmm. from several years ago. That's kind of the, the beauty and the messiness of a podcast is we have all of these conversations recorded over four years. Yep. And yeah, there's been a lot of growth. Thank God. Right? Yes. There's been growth since then. Yes. So we're not going to judge ourselves from four years ago or three years ago because they were just doing the best that they could with the knowledge and the wisdom that they had at the time, but there's been a lot of growth and self-discovery through a lot of painful experiences for both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really glad that we're revisiting this now and knowing in four more years, we're going to be in a very different place. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine four years from now. <laughs> <laughs> so why burnout? I think it's fairly common for folks to say, I'm burned out at work, I need a vacation, and I don't know about you, but I've heard people even use it to say they're tired of something, like, I'm burned out on that restaurant, can we eat somewhere else? Mm -hmm. So until last year, I'd never actually known that there's a clinical understanding of burnout. And I want to talk about this today because learning about this has been so helpful for me. We were talking earlier, and I I think I called it paradigm shifting, (laughs) And it's really Mm -hmm. true. Yeah, it's big. I thought this might be helpful for our listeners as well. So I was introduced to the concept of burnout last year when I sought mental health treatment for what I thought at the time was anxiety or depression. It was 2020, right? Right. I was pretty open on the podcast last fall about going back to therapy. And when I started, I was describing for my therapist everything I was experiencing. I was in a constant state of overwhelm, which led to being emotionally drained and numb and lethargic and tired all the time. I couldn't feel joy. I felt like the Mm. world was spinning out of control and I was completely helpless to stop it or fix it. So nothing I did mattered. And when I start thinking Mm. that nothing I do matters, 
it's a slippery slope mm-hmm. to I don't matter. So oh, yeah, 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 rough, right? That's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, that's that's a lot. Yeah. So I'm trying to explain all this to my therapist, and I ask her if this is depression, and she's like, "It could be. It could also be burnout." Or a mixture of both. And it was kind of this light bulb moment for me because about the same time I started therapy, I was also participating in a professional development course called Daring Compassion Movement Chaplaincy Training led by our friends at Faith Matters Network, which I'll share more about at the end of the episode. And the first month of the course is all about personal and professional resilience. So a big part of that is exploring burnout its causes, how to identify it, how to prepare for it, and then how to move through it when it happens, not if it happens, but when. So I'm learning about burnout in this training, and then my therapist mentions burnout, and I'm like, okay, I should listen up. God is obviously trying to tell me something. Have you experienced something like this, Katie? (laughs) Oh, I'm laughing because it's just my life. I mean... (laughs) If I'm honest with myself, I started my work in reproductive freedom in a place of burnout. And I'm going to get real and I'm just going to name a sexual assault that happened to me. I'm not going to go into details because I don't want it to be triggering for people. But I didn't realize until literally a few weeks ago that the reason I was drawn to doing the work of reproductive freedom was because I was coming out of my own horrible experience in seminary when I was sexually assaulted by a trusted professor Mm. and went through a really horrible, shaming public Mm. complaint process that left me devastated, isolated, and anxiety stricken. Mm. Gosh. And it was really from that wounded place of being judged and shamed and assaulted for my body and my sexuality that drew me into the work of accompanying people through their abortions and facing the same kind of judgment and stigma outside the clinic from protesters that I had felt in the hallways of my seminary. Wow. And I did not realize that until a few weeks ago. Wow. I had never made that connection. And I say all of that because I think so many of us get involved in justice work or healing work or helping work. Mm Mm-hmm. Because of something that we have experienced that was traumatic mm-hmm. in one way or another. And we're going to talk more about that later in the episode. Um, so I'm so grateful to your therapist. Yeah. And for spirit. Yeah, me too. To have given you this framework at a time when you could hear it. Mm-hmm. Because there's probably been little clues along the way and you just weren't ready oh, to hear this. Oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So like you, in a very parallel time, I started working with a leadership coach named Carrie Connolly, whose information I'm going to put in the show notes, who started asking me some really probing, uncomfortable questions about my obsessive need to be productive. We've talked about Mm -hmm. overproductivity here, Mm -hmm. my hypervigilance, my inability to set boundaries, and my feeling stuck in my life in general. Mm -hmm. And um, I just want to say, if you are a woman who has experienced trauma in your life, And especially for somebody who's been traumatized by messages of self-sacrifice and shame from evangelical Christianity Mm -hmm. and being a woman, especially if you're a white woman. Mm -hmm. And if you're someone who deals with some of these things that I I talked about, over-functioning, that means like keeping your house perfect, keeping your calendar perfect, being a perfectionist, performing. Perfect social media. Yep. Having boundaries, living in a constant state of stress or never being able to say no. 
I cannot more highly recommend Carrie as a coach. So you can check her out at CarrieConnolly.com. You can check out her podcast, Mystic Justice, and I'll put all of this in the show notes because I really highly recommend her. Um, you can even do a free 15-minute call with her, but just really wanted to put a plug in for her. So this process has sucked. Mm-hmm. It has not been comfortable, <laughs> to put it lightly. It has been terrible and painful and disorienting. Mm. But once I started seeing all of these traits and the behaviors connected to my very, very deep and early wounds that I have lived with for basically my entire life, Mm -hmm. I realized that I did have a choice. I didn't have to be stuck. Mm -hmm. I could stay in that place of burnout if I wanted to, Mm -hmm. or I could start choosing a pathway of freedom and joy. And that is available to every single one of us. Mm. I know you watch Shit's Creek, right? I love that journey uh-huh. for you <laughs> so much. And I can't wait to see where like that pathway of freedom and joy leads you. I just can't wait. Yeah. Same and same for you, my love. Yeah. Same for you. You know, I also didn't realize how much some of my personality traits, things that I've been praised for my whole life, things like people yes. pleasing and perfectionism. All of that stems from things that I experienced in childhood, and it's all tied to how I respond to stress, and then it also leads to more stress and perpetuates the cycle. So addressing burnout for me has required unlearning some of those coping skills and relearning healthier ways of engaging with work, relationships, with myself. And I want to share a couple of concrete definitions and ideas about burnout to frame the episode before we before we just launch into talking about it. I think it'd be helpful to define some things. And we will link any resources that we mention in the show notes. And the first is this article that my therapist shared with me from helpguide.org called Burnout Prevention and Treatment. So if any of what we're talking about today rings true for you, I encourage you check out this article for a, a fuller description of burnout, what it is, how to move through it. And I would also encourage you to seek out a mental health provider because having someone trusted that can walk me through this process so I'm not white knuckling it alone and trying to just figure it all out on my own, that has been key for me. And it sounds like it's been key mm-hmm. for you as well. Yes, 100%. Yeah. So it might not be a licensed counselor for everyone. It might be more of a coach or or even a faith community that you trust. Like if there are people in your life that you can walk through this with, I think that that's really helpful. So back to the article, there's there's a description of the difference between stress and burnout. And reading through the list and then thinking back over my last year, I can see how I started 2020 and the pandemic in a place of stress and then over the year moved into a state of burnout. And this is how the article explains it. Burnout may be the result of unrelenting stress, but it isn't the same as too much stress. Stress by and large involves too much. Too many pressures that demand too much of you physically and mentally. However, stressed people can still imagine that if they can just get everything under control, they'll feel better. But burnout, on the other hand, is about not enough. Being burned out means feeling empty, 
mentally exhausted, devoid of motivation, and beyond caring. People experiencing burnout often don't see any hope of positive change in their situations. So if, if excessive stress feels like you're drowning in responsibilities, burnout is a sense of being all dried up. And while you're usually aware of being under a lot of stress, you don't always notice burnout when it happens. And let me just tell you, that rings absolutely true for me. That is just right on the money how I was feeling last year. So there may be depression in there as well, especially for folks that are prone to it. Like I, I believe I probably am, but burnout, <laughs> burnout can be very specific and situational. Yeah. It's almost like treading water where you're, you're okay. And then you realize I'm starting to get tired. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm starting to go under, but it's sort of a gradual or like where that line is. Yeah. Is very, very hard. You know, at the risk of sounding hyperbolic, I I just feel like I've been living in a constant state of burnout for most of my life, if not all of it. Honestly, I've just been caught in a an unrelenting fight, flight or freeze response Mm -hmm. that just had me perpetually on the edge all the time. And I was living a completely fear based life and it was exhausting. And I didn't know I didn't know that there was another way. So I just did it. But I didn't recognize how much I was suffering internally. And no one else did either because externally I was performing as if everything was fine. And I was getting all the praise, like you said. Yes. All the affirmation. Mm -hmm. And it really wasn't until recently that I, I realized I don't have to keep living this way. But damn, it's required a lot of inner work. You know, a lot like the work that you've done in therapy of uncovering and really facing up to some of the early experiences that made me believe that in order to survive, literally my brain thought in order for me to survive, I need to overperform and avoid making mistakes and be hyper vigilant in every single thing that I do, including stupid stuff that I do by myself. That is how deep the conditioning was. And how this shows up in my professional work is the story I've told myself, and I imagine you've told yourself this, that I must stay in this back-breaking work because of all the unearned privilege I have. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's my responsibility. It is God's call on my life to use all of that for the common good, which does not include me, by the way. Yeah. It's a story completely rooted in a white savior complex and patriarchy. Yeah. And capitalism. And what I'm learning, and I've heard this a million times and never sunk in, is that if if I want to help other people heal, but I don't heal myself, I'm not actually healing the world at all. Because I'm punishing myself internally, and I'm doing damage and wounding myself, and I am part of the world. Mm-hmm. This sounds so basic, but it is so fundamentally, like, talk about paradigm shift for me. That was a really big paradigm shift for me, that I could not continue to beat myself up internally if I wanted to heal the world. You know, the over-functioning, the, por- the performativity shows up, like, in my professional work. But it's honestly all over my life. Like, I can't even do yoga alone in my basement without feeling like I have to perform for my inner critic. Mm. It is ne- it's nonstop. And, you know, I mentioned this before, but that process of healing from the burnout, which is really rooted in trauma, has been about releasing all of the stored up emotions and memories that my body has been holding on to for decades. Decades. It has been a physical releasing of all of that. And it's been very painful 
and very freeing. And I know it's never going to be over completely, but I feel like I've made a huge stride. And I feel like the next circle of this that comes around, I'll be like, oh, yeah, now I remember what those what those scripts are. And I'll know a little bit better how to handle it next time. But it's it takes a lot. I mean, it takes a lot of courage to do this work. It really does. So I applaud you for doing it, too. It's many, many people just choose never to do it. And I understand it. Yeah. It's really hard. It is hard. You know, I keep coming back to what you said a few minutes ago, that your call was to heal the world. But that did not include you. <laughs> and I just... No, no, no. Oh. Put myself on the cross. Oh, exactly. Exactly. It's all... <laughs> I can just see how we got that from being women and we got that from Christianity and that message is just hammered into us over and over and then layer on the white savior complex. You know, you've touched on this, but I want to name that for me, there's been a lot of shame tied up in admitting that I am burned out. Mm -hmm. All of those things we just mentioned there's so much pressure, external and internal, largely internal, to join mm-hmm. every cause, attend every march or meeting or rally, mm-hmm. join every committee, perform our activism perfectly. Make donations. Oh, gosh, make donations. Uh, showing up on social media in a specific way. Like, there's so much yes. pressure that keeps a lot of us in denial about needing help or needing to step away for a while and take care of ourselves or just admitting that we can't do it all. And Mm -hmm. you're right about that unearned privilege, feeling like I don't deserve rest or ease because so many people have it worse than me. That realization that all of those beliefs I'd held were not true. No, they're lies. Yeah, <laughs> that was really like the the crack for me that mm-hmm. let started to let mm-hmm. the light in. Like, oh, actually, I do deserve happiness and rest and ease and joy. And I need to be, if I'm really going to engage in justice work, it needs to be from that place of abundance and not that place of everyone deserves it but me. So, oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot. I'm getting heated up over here. I'm going to have to start fanning myself. (laughs) I'm feeling the fire of truth, like, running through my body, like, (laughs) burning up all the bad messages you're talking. (laughs) There you go. There you go. So maybe we can shift to talking about things that lead to burnout and how they show Mm -hmm. up for us in our work or our personal lives. So what I learned is that burnout is largely work-related. It can be caused by excessive stress due to the nature of the work itself or a dysfunctional workplace. And dysfunction can look a lot of ways, like a lack of recognition or fair pay for the work you do, demanding or unfair expectations, working in a chaotic or very high-pressure environment. And I also want to say that that work doesn't have to be official or even paid. Volunteers and unpaid caregivers can experience burnout too, and I would even say that unpaid folks are probably at a higher risk of burnout because of the fact that they're not paid for all of this labor. So... Most workplaces have stress, and a lot of workplaces have dysfunction, but some professions, especially caring or helping professions, healing professions like you named earlier, so that's things like social work, healthcare, I think about frontline healthcare workers this year, Mm -hmm. psychology, clergy, emergency frontline work like police and fire and rescue and disaster response, and then activism and justice movement work. Those Mm -hmm. 
fields can all expose us to additional stress. I'm going to read a quote that comes from a resource called Vicarious Traumatization on the website ProQOL. That's Professional Quality of Life. So ProQOL.org, where you can also, they've got um, tests you can take to see if you meet some of the criteria for for burnout. Gosh, I'd be scared to take that. Yeah. Yeah, it's enlightening. Don't even need to take it. It's enlightening. So this quote uh, is, helpers are exposed to both direct and vicarious sources of traumatic stress. Helpers may feel a positive effect associated with their ability to help, but they may also feel negative secondary effects called vicarious trauma. Vicarious trauma can be caused by repeatedly hearing horrible stories about extremely stressful events. So before I go any further, I'm really curious to know, Katie, as a clergy person, did your training in divinity school prepare you for this at all? You're oh just like God. shaking your head no. Are you kidding me <laughs> with this question? Absolutely not. I don't it's understand to prepare me for this. how that is possible. It Well, you know what? You know what it is. So I'm just going to say, I went to Yale Divinity School. And when people find out that I went to Yale, they're like, wow, how was that for you? And I'm like, it sucked. It was terrible. I don't recommend it. Oh. That was my experience. And... You know, I already shared I was sexually assaulted there, so that was a horrible experience. But even beyond that, there was no focus on the heart. It was all on the mind. Maybe touching on the spirit from time to time, but it was very intellectual. Hmm. And I think that that's also one of the biggest problems with whiteness, Mm -hmm. is we do not talk about our feelings, and we do not talk about embodiment. Like, this is our thing that we've been talking about. So it was like completely devoid of that interconnection. Yeah. And um, the only boundaries that we were ever taught about were were how we were not to harm our parishioners, you know, and what those sexual boundaries were. But there was never a focus on how parishioners can be harmful to you or what you need to be healthy wow. in, a, in a pastoring context. And even like pastoral care was focused on the parishioner. It was not focused. There was almost an assumption of health. And if you know clergy, like, again, many of us come into this work because we're wounded. Right. You know, and want to heal the world. The wounded healer archetype is all over that thing. And I remember one of my good friends, um, there was a student who died by suicide when I was in seminary, and it was very upsetting um, and devastating. And none of us really knew what to do about it, because it was almost like we all felt like we were kind of quasi-clergy, yeah. you know, who are going to be going out into the world. And so we were all trying to, like, care for each other while we were grieving and, and, and struggling. And one of my friends described it as a bunch of ER doctors with gaping wounds mm-hmm. running around trying to put bandages on each other. And I felt like that was such a good analogy mm-hmm. because we were refusing to stop and tend to our own wounds. We were not taught how to self-manage our own wounding. All we were taught was how to help other people heal. And so it absolutely did not teach me other than by a bad example of how not to be. But no, it's just been recently that I've been learning for myself, like with my coach, how to do that work. Oh, wow. We're doing ourselves and the people that we purportedly seek to serve so much damage and so much harm. Totally. Because we're still tra- we're, we're acting out our trauma. Yeah with other people if we don't process it, even when we don't realize it. Yeah. That's how we end up doing abusive and horrible things to each other, even like as we're trying to help. I'm glad you used the word trauma because I think it's important to be intentional with how we use that word. So I want to clarify some of the things we're talking about. 
I am not a mental health professional, so I may get this wrong, and I'm not suggesting any kind of diagnosis for anyone. But here's an example of some of the trauma, direct trauma, secondary trauma that we've been talking about. Say you're at a protest. A lot of us went to protests and marches last year. Say you're at a protest and a group of peaceful protesters is pepper sprayed and beaten by police in front of you. The people who are assaulted are directly traumatized by what happened. The people nearby who might intervene or who fear for their own safety and run, those people might also be directly traumatized. And then there's kind of widen the circle out. People providing care on the ground for the folks that were injured, but maybe they weren't there to witness what injured them. People who heard about the event or knew someone involved or all the people watching recorded video of this happening on social media but who are otherwise people who are otherwise physically safe those people might experience vicarious traumatization or secondary traumatic stress so there's a continuum of traumatization at play and many of us can see where we might fall on the continuum and most of us move back and forth all along the continuum over the course of our lives as we experience personal and professional traumatic events can i interject and yes. add one more that might be controversial sure there's that there's trauma that police experience when they do that exactly yes exactly and if they're not if that. they're not dealing with that trauma they're not even able to name and give language mm-hmm. and a framework to what they're experiencing then they're absolutely going to take their trauma out on the people that they're supposed to be serving. Absolutely. Well, and even doing the thing to people is traumatizing. And I'm not saying it's the same thing, but like, we don't talk about that. No, we don't. And committing acts of violence against someone else, that does something to your heart and your soul and your spirit. Yeah. Yeah. We don't talk about it. It's a lot to get into for this episode. Mm -hmm. I think we should probably put it there (laughs) maybe, but I would love to revisit, especially maybe if we find someone who can speak more to that with a greater depth of experience. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, we're not trained in this. No, but really digging into how the whiteness of stifling emotions and ignoring our physical bodies and ignoring our mental health and spiritual well-being, that's something that when we talk about white supremacy, that is what we're talking about too. Not just white people wanting power, but white people being so damaged and hurt and oppressed by the own systems that we uphold. That is that is a real part of it. And so when we use words like white supremacy, we don't do it lightly. We're talking about the whole of it. So yeah, we just can touch on that here. Mm-hmm. But I want to say, you know, Take the protest analogy. You can substitute so much here. Anything from counselors listening to their patients day after day talk about experiencing abuse and harm. Clergy who comfort people as they're dying and the families of folks who are dying. Volunteers who answer sexual assault hotlines. They may not directly experience trauma, but over time, the secondary traumatic stress can build up, especially if folks don't have the tools to name it, understand it, and move through it. So back to my personal journey, when you add workplace stress and trauma, either direct or vicarious, you get burnout. And what I learned last year is that the work I do in reproductive rights organizing exposes me to a lot of secondary traumatic stress. 
Over the years in this work, I have held a lot of stories, been in a lot of rooms, having tough conversations about people's abortion experiences, surviving sexual assault or abuse, traumatic childbirth, pregnancy lost, racialized trauma, medicalized trauma, just Mm -hmm. women talking about our reproductive lives and experiences in Mississippi, a state that is hostile to us and actively working against liberation for all people. That's hard enough. But it was especially hard under the four years of Trump chaos and then add in constantly witnessing state violence against black and brown people all over the country and top it all off with a pandemic. Burnout was not an if it was a win. And the same is true for so many of us. And we're not talking about it enough. And instead, we think I'm physically safe. No one is hurting me right this second. I can pay all my bills. I have my basics covered. How entitled must I be to feel this way? Who am I to complain when others have it so much worse? Why do I feel this bad? Mm-hmm. So learning about vicarious trauma in therapy and in Daring Compassion training last year finally gave me a framing and a language to understand what I've been going through and why it's so hard and why it's important, so important to prioritize care and compassion for myself through this. Everything you just shared is so important. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for just naming all of that. And I, I imagine many people listening can see themselves in what you're describing in some way, shape, or form. And one of the things that Carrie, my coach, has helped me understand is that it is so typical for people who have experienced a lot of trauma, especially white women, to just downplay it and be like, oh, I don't, it yes. wasn't that bad. You know, people yep. have it way worse. And to just not allow ourselves to feel the emotion mm-hmm. around it. And that is what perpetuates the trauma is we just refuse to acknowledge how messed up it, it is. And we, we the shame keeps us quiet about it. So we don't even talk about the things that cause us trauma. But as soon as we find a trusted person and start talking about the things that have happened to us, that's when someone else can say, that's really messed up that that happened to you. And you go, oh, yeah, that was really messed up. Um, I think maybe there's some other messed up things that happened to me. And like that process of just and it, because it's not about blaming the people who mm-hmm. perpetuated the trauma. Right. It's it's about learning your own response mm-hmm. to situations that trigger you. Yep. And recognizing I can heal from that and choose a different pattern moving forward. That's that's what dealing with our trauma is about. In my in my view, it's not about like, you know, you have to cycle through the, the feelings and all that. It's not about like going and having, you know, confrontations with all the people in your life. I mean, right. you can do that. You can. But it really is about your own. <laughs> it's about your own healing and choosing a more loving pathway mm-hmm. forward. And that's what we're going to talk about now because – our previous episodes focused a lot on self-care, and those are essential mm-hmm. to our well-being. Love self-care. We all need to do it. But when we only talk about the behaviors of self-care, and we don't talk about the reason that we do the behavior, yeah. it's incomplete. Yeah. And that's, for me, I'm super performative. So even in my coaching, when I was assigned homework that was self-care, I would just do it. Not because I felt like I was worthy of those changes, but because I was trying to please myself and please my coach. Yeah. So like I was just mastering all of these external behaviors. So from the outside, I look like a very healthy person. 
Yeah. Right? I meditate. I, I journal. I do yoga. I work out. I eat healthy. I have friends, all those things. But it's – I was doing it because I thought it was what I was supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. So even if the behavior is related to self-care – if I'm doing it because I think I'm obligated to do it in order to achieve some idea of, of health or wellness, then I'm actually not doing anything to care for myself because I'm still beating myself up on the inside and being that harsh inner critic that got me into the place of burnout to start. And compassion for other people is only possible and sustainable if we're compassionate with ourselves first. Yeah. You know, and I think it's really important to distinguish self-care and self-love both of which are essential, but they're not the same. And, you know, thinking about self-care as these as these practices that we do to sustain ourselves, like going to therapy, like taking a walk. Again, we need to do them. But self-love is how we regard ourselves as worthy, you know, not because of anything externally that we do, but just because we are souls embodied on this planet in this moment, like just being here. We have intrinsic value as divine beings. And like, no matter how complicated we are or how messy we are or what stupid stuff we do, we are, we deserve love and nurturing all the time. Mm -hmm. And we're fully capable of giving ourselves these things, even if we did not get them as children. You don't need anybody else to do it for you. Mm -hmm. We're all worthy and capable of that love and joy and pleasure, and desire, and ease, just because we exist, mm -hmm. just because we exist. That has been so huge for me. And related to that, a recent revelation, and I shared this with you when I was kind of uncovering it for the first time, is that my mission on earth is to not be a caretaker, which is what I've done my whole life, but to be a care leader and that means I have to model for other people how I radically love and care for myself. Yeah. And out of that abundance of love, I inspire other people to do the same. And it won't feed into this pattern of dependence and codependence that are so often at the center of caretaking relationships. And I've seen it already. As I heal and I talk about healing, I see other people heal all around me. And it is absolutely beautiful to witness that. Wow. Yeah. You know, everything you said about self-care and self-love is just so vital. And as we talked about four years ago when we were just starting to put some of these pieces together, self-care isn't about performing. It's not about checking off <laughs> items on your self-care to-do list. It's not yes. all pedicures and sheet masks. Sometimes self-care is really hard. For me, therapy was really hard. Self-love might be even harder. Mm -hmm. And for me, caring for myself through burnout has meant facing some hard truths about myself and my work and my relationship and my limits. But it was work that was worth it because I'm worth it, if that yes. makes sense. And it's it not totally does. Yeah, you are worth it. It's not linear. It's a lifelong mm -hmm. process of learning and unlearning, but there is so much support out there to lean on if we open ourselves up to it. And this is something else I realized that just opening up about what we're going through, that abundance, the abundance we share comes back. You know, we have our mm -hmm. communities and our squads and the lessons mm -hmm. of our ancestors and our mentors 
and our own divine inner wisdom always. It never leaves us. And like you said, sharing what we learn and how we grow is part of the beauty and the joy of this process. So it's not all hard work. There's joy and beauty and pleasure yeah. in it too. And Absolutely. to that end, I want to say a final word about Daring Compassion Movement Chaplaincy Training, which a lot of my a lot of the language that I've used in this episode today has come directly from what I learned in that course. It focuses on the basic skills and knowledge that are central for the role of a movement chaplain. And a movement chaplain is anyone who offers spiritual, emotional, and relational support to people who are engaged in social justice movements. So their next totally virtual cohort begins on June 1st, and it runs for 12 weeks. Registration ends May 17th. So if this sounds like something you would like to explore, visit faithmattersnetwork.org, where you can learn all about the course and sign up for it. And I think that is it for today. There is so much more we could say. It feels like we barely scratched the surface. And listeners, if any of this is resonating with you, if you want to know more, if you think we got some things wrong, please send us an email. Find us on Instagram. Uh, We'd love to hear what you have to say about this. So Katie, do you want to share what we'll be talking about next time? I do. First, I just want to say thank you to you. Thank you. One of my, um, what I've described as my doulas, helping me rebirth myself Yeah. Um, at various moments, holding my messiness right alongside yours and, and being in this mutual healing relationship. It means so much to me. Um, and I want to thank all of our listeners for just bearing witness to this as we talk about it. You know, it means a lot to have this space and this community of people yeah. who are holding our messiness with us and loving us anyway that's so that's right um that's what we're, that's what kindreds is all about so mm-hmm. yes next time i'm very excited we are bringing back one of our um first guests ashley oh, yeah. Easter, another ashley that i love mm-hmm. to talk about intuition which is absolutely connected to what we're talking mm-hmm. about right now like how do we access that that inner wisdom, that largeness within us, as Sue Monk Kid talks about. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be such a fun conversation. I'm so excited for that. And I cannot wait to talk with you then. Yeah, talk to you then. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you. 